Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us again. This is the second week of this new reality. We're trying to figure it all out. And you guys have been kind of rolling with the punches. You've been sharing this feed and this live stream with other people, which really is a blessing. We've seen our numbers continue to grow, which we are really thankful for. So thanks for jumping into week five with us of our um, Awakening series. Now, if you're just joining us and you haven't been following along, we have a series guide that's available to you that goes along for every single day of our series. You can simply go to www.crosswalkvillage.com slash series guide to be able to see and download our series guide and follow along every single day. We hope that it's a blessing to you, especially in these, you know, um, unusual times that we find ourselves living in. So thanks for being a part of that. Normally we get these out um, as physical books, but um, probably for our next series, we're just going to have a PDF as we see how that goes. And if you are new to Crosswalk Church, we know that our viewership has jumped by literally thousands. And um, we are just incredibly blessed to have you here. But if you're new to Crosswalk, we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to worship with us, to study with us, and to create community with us. And one of the ways that you can do that is by always commenting on what's happening throughout the service. And we're just excited that you're here. And we're also sort of sorry that you have to be. But in this new reality that we're living in, and we don't know how long it's for, we just want to make sure that you still feel connected. And one point just on giving again. Um, we, know that, we know that you belong to churches that need your support. So we want you, if you're new, to continue to support your churches. But anything that you can give to Crosswalk so we can continue to, to create this content for you is just an incredible blessing, and we really appreciate that. I will say this, though. We have a few values that we want you to understand. We have these value statements that are important to us, and they begin with a deep and laser focus on Jesus. He is our center, and he is our circumference. So whenever you hear us preach, you're going to hear about Jesus, and certainly this series is no different because we're leading up to Easter, and this all has to do with Jesus. He is everything to us, and we always want to be moving towards him. He is the apex of scripture and the Lord of our lives. We will not, never shy away from having him be the focus of what we are and who we are. Secondly, belonging. Now, belonging is really important to us as well. This is a value that you need to know. If you're here, you're part of us. Whether you're online or not, you belong here. And through this time, you can always come back for content, for prayer, for community, and for study. So belonging is really important. The second value, maybe this is the third one at this point, is momentum. We believe in the math of God, which is all always multiplication and usually exponential multiplication. God is moving and we want to use that momentum for the kingdom. How does that work digitally? It's pretty simple. Share this feed. Invite people to come and watch a viewing party with you on Facebook and see where God is moving you and your family. We're in unprecedented times, but that does not mean that the kingdom of God ceases to grow. And the last thing that we really want to make sure you understand is this experience is really important to us. We believe in excellence for Christ. So as you watch this service, you probably have noticed that um, we pre-recorded all of our worship. It wasn't happening live here because we wanted the best experience for you to have. That's really important for us. And we won't belabor that, but hopefully it's something that blesses you and grows you. Now, scripture is important. 
important. If you've noticed our sermons, and if you're new here, obviously you don't know yet, but um, we basically open up scripture and go through it. And we just want to know what God is saying to us. We believe in big portions of scripture. We believe in doing a deep study and, and, and a strong exegesis of what God is trying to tell us through scripture. So we're going to continue to do that as we move just in this series towards Easter, but as well that you're here. The last thing is this, we're just glad, we're just glad you're here. You know, having said that, we want you to invite your friends and family to be part of this experience together. You know, come to church with us and we're glad that you're here. We hope you stay, we hope you commit, and we hope that you support this ministry. Anyway, that's all to say this, let's begin. Because our scripture today is found in Luke 23, 44 through 49. We're going to linger in these texts for a while. And they reflect some of what we talked about last week. But it is Luke's account coming from eyewitnesses. Again, they're different people who remember things differently. So there are some commonalities between the text that we studied last week and some differences. And if you've ever, if you've ever thought about your childhood with a sibling, it's fascinating what they remember and what you remember, isn't it? You can, you can remember a Christmas that was amazing, that was the best thing ever, and they can remember it as horrible and they didn't get what they want and their parents didn't really love them. Now, hopefully that's not the case for anybody, but that's what's going on in the Synoptic Gospels. As they go through the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, they remember it differently. And remember, these guys didn't write it down for a significant number of years. One of the reasons why they didn't write it down is because they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime because he said words that made them think that he would. And so they didn't need to write anything down. When they finally decided that we should probably write this down, it was pretty important for them to, um, to, to be as accurate as possible. And as you know, the, the, there's a synoptic issue and we believe that there was this other work out there that people call Q and both, uh, you know, Matthew and Mark probably took a little bit from that. Luke's a little bit different because of his eyewitness accounts. John writes very much later and has a very different idea on what it is that he is trying to do because he's fighting heresy by the turn of the century already. But we're leaning into Luke chapter 23. So if you want to grab a Bible, grab a Bible. We're using the New Living Translation. And this is how it begins in Luke 23, verse 44. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. This is three hours of darkness. And I don't know if you've ever lived through an eclipse, but it is an eerie thing. I mean, I remember the first time I went through one. I think it was in seventh grade. And, and we did the, the exercise where we cut the hole in the box, and we watched it, and we watched the whole thing happen on the little sheet of white paper, because of course, you can't look at an eclipse. And um, I remember watching this, and when it went pretty dark, because I'm not sure it was 100% of an eclipse, but it was pretty close. It went really dark and it got eerie. And what, what was always amazing to me is that everything got quiet. Even us seventh graders, as the darkness came over the land for us, there was a nervousness. There was a quietness. Now, that was just for a few minutes. We're talking about three hours. What would that be like? And how would you respond? You're going to think about it in a few different ways, right? One of the ways you're going to think about it is that this is a punishment from God. And of course they would respond like that. There's not a lot of science happening in the first century, at least not great science. And tribal religions allowed their God to be angry with them and to be mean even at times. As well, this is where people of faith often go in the time of trouble, 
I mean, I can remember being in college and um, there were fires in Malibu and I remember him coming to me and he's like, oh, this is punishment from God. And, and he had a particular reason he thought it was a punishment from God because of the type of person that lived in Malibu, which I, even at that point, I was like, that, that, come on, that's not, that's ridiculous. But, but people of faith go there because one reason is because we want a modicum of control, right? We want to know that there's something that we've done that we can stop doing so that that punishment seems to go away. So I'm going to make this real right now and ask this question. Is the coronavirus a punishment from God? And by the way, there are definitely people that are preaching that today. They are preaching that this is a punishment from God, that this is the, the mark, the sign of the end of the world. And hey, I, we've always made this statement, we're ready for the end of the world. We, we're, we're excited for it. We want Jesus to come. But, but is coronavirus a punishment from God? You see, my, my theology doesn't allow for this to be God issuing punishment because the cross did away with that type of thinking. It's not punishment. Of course, it's an effect of free will and an effect of, the, of sin in the world. And, and, and we're having to deal with with horrible things, absolutely. But how we respond to a crisis like this, again, not a punishment, a crisis, how we respond tells the world about God and who he is for sure. So is it a punishment from God? That's one question. The second one is that, um, you know, people are going to say, hey, the world is ending. And when the sun goes away for three hours, absolutely. They're going to say, listen, it's the world that is ending and there's a simple answer to this question. Is the world ending? Yes, it's ending. Absolutely. Of course the world is ending. But we don't know the time frame. And you know that every generation has looked at our apocalyptic scriptures and have looked for the signs of the times, as we say, and every single generation has been sure. Every single generation has been absolutely 100% positive that this is the time where it all comes to an end. Now, listen, I don't know exactly how the world ends, but I need, you to, I need you to know the outcome. I need you to understand the outcome. We know that the outcome is simply this, Jesus wins. So we don't need to worry about that. This is, I know it's weird, what we're living right now. It feels, there's a lot of anxiety and we can, we can begin to look around for signs. And by the way, when we see signs, when we look for signs, I should say, we find them because we're looking for a specific thing. Have you ever bought a car thinking nobody had that same car? And then once you have that car, you realize that everyone has that same car? Listen, I drive a Honda Accord, a white Honda Accord. I don't know what I was thinking. That, every car, every second car on the road is a Honda Accord. And in California, every second car is a white Honda Accord. When you look for signs, you find them. That doesn't mean that's what they are. It means that that's how you are interpreting the sign. A good example of interpreting a sign is a, is a stop sign, right? Stop sign means one thing. It's very simple. And you've heard me use this illustration before. If you knew, well, this is new for you. A stop sign says one thing, S-T-O-P. It simply says stop, and it's known pretty much the world over. However, we interpret that sign a little bit differently no matter when we get there or regardless, I shouldn't say regardless, we interpret that sign differently depending on when we get to that sign. Three o'clock in the afternoon, lots of cars going around, uh, a, a police officer on the other side of the road, that sign means stop. Count for three seconds, look left, right, left again, and then go. 
But if you encounter that same sign at three o'clock in the morning when there's nobody around, well, the demand for stopping is a little bit different in the way that we interpret that sign. The only problem is it's actually not. It's still a stop sign. It still means the same thing. We've just interpreted it differently. So we need to be careful, especially when we think the world is ending. We have to be careful about the signs that we see. And by the way, one of the ways that we can be careful is by making sure we're surrounded by a diverse community who can walk us back from the ledge because sometimes we get so anxious and sometimes we get so nervous that we do feel like everything's falling apart. Surround yourself with community, even if it's digitally right now, right? Surround yourself with community, with with reasonable and thoughtful people who can walk you back from the edge. Because, listen, again, we're an apocalyptic people in our particular faith tradition. And because of that, Because of that, we have a tendency to interpret things as the end. So let's be careful. And again, if it's the end, let's not be concerned because Jesus wins. But the third thing that you're going to recognize, you know, and that they certainly would have recognized when the sun went, you know, when the sun darkened for three hours is that something huge is happening. The response would cause reflection and interpretation You know, some of us are going to jump into hysterics and some of us are going to think, wait a second, what does this mean? Something, something must have happened. But there's an opportunity to see what's really going on, what its outcomes are and what its meanings are. Something huge is happening. So let's lean into it. Even today, something huge is happening. How can God be glorified in this place? How can we regain our sense of family and balance in our lives? How can we grow towards Jesus in this struggle and in this difficult time? Let's acknowledge this and allow God to work through this huge happening. We can be on the news cycles and and different opinions. Of course, we all are going to interpret what's going on differently. That's okay. We can still be a community of Christ in the midst of that diversity of thinking when it comes to how this works. But I'll tell you what, the one thing we all need to do personally is reflect, be thoughtful, and try and figure out what it means, maybe not to the world, but what it means to us and in our lives. If we miss this opportunity, we will have wasted a perfectly good crisis to understand who God is in our lives and even move closer to him. Now let's take a look at Luke 23, 45. It says the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now other, other, um, other versions say that it was, it was torn from the top to the bottom and now this is good news. The reason why this is good news is because there is now no separation between the holy and the most holy place, right? There is no separation between us and God anymore. There was always a moment of separation, right? There was always, and by the way, that curtain, it was not small. The the argument was that it took 180 priests to wash this thing once or twice a year. And it was thick, like six inches thick. When we use the word curtain, I'm not sure that's the right word. We have houses that are built with less materials than that curtain actually was. This thing was huge. It was torn from top to bottom. It was God getting rid of the separation. In that particular faith tradition, in that particular metaphor, God was, dis- God was destroying the separation that was between the, the sacred and the secular. The tearing of the curtain tore down the separation of God from his people. And you see, all the institutions that were there were set up to keep God 
from man and they were being torn down. And God was working from a completely different paradigm. See, it's God who tore the curtain down. Scripture tells us it was torn again from top to bottom. It was God that was done with the separation. He was sick of it and he didn't want it anymore. It was God that was sick of being isolated from his people. And this is a good word, right? This is a good word because it tells us that our curtains of separation will be torn down as well. And I know what it feels like. Listen, I've been in, in my house with my family for the last five, six days. And, you know, we go out, we hike, we do some things, but we're still there. And they're, they're all kind of adults now. Like my sons, their feet are just as big as mine. My, my oldest son, who's 15, almost 16, he's going to have a, a coronavirus birthday on his 16th birthday. It's just tragic. But, but you know, he's six feet tall. My other son's almost six feet tall, like we're big humans in the family and we sense this isolation that we're in, in this house and it, it's, it, we struggle with it. But we also know it's gonna come to an end. It just may take a while. But don't worry, this is temporary because God is with us and he's expressed that again and again. You see, what's going on with the, with the curtain in the temple being torn is that this changed the relationship between God and his people. It changed it completely. It made it more intimate. It made it more immediate and more powerful. And listen, I'm hoping that this will be the case in our lives as well. I am hopeful that no matter how this ends, when we walk out of our houses and we don't have this separation anymore, we will sense the people that we were with Man, we got so much closer. And we'll be ready to have those kinds of relationships again. We will never be, we will, be ne we will never be more appreciative of the relationships that we have in person than, than when we walk out of our houses. So we have to look for that time, right? In the midst of all this, with, with the sun being darkened, Jesus, it says in Luke 23, 46, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. And what happened is Jesus gave his spirit back to God. You know that Stephen said the same thing in Acts 7, 59. You see, Jesus was in control the whole time in some respects. He was not killed as much as he decided when it was time to release his spirit to God. And if, if you believe that it, it is God who animated humanity when he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve, then we also understand that that breath goes back to God when we die. Now, we can spend a lot of time talking about the theological implications of that. We come from a tradition of um, conditional mortality, we say. We don't believe in an immortal soul that's always out there and always living. And that may be different than some of you have particularly learned, and we'd be happy to study that and explain that a little bit more. But, but you know, Jesus was, he released it. He released that breath of life. Then a fascinating thing happened, we see in Luke 23, 47, when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened. He worshiped God and he said simply, listen, this man is innocent. I wonder if he was having buyer's remorse. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Have you ever bought something that you weren't sure you should buy and you buy it and you get it and then you think, oh man, I shouldn't have bought it. Have you ever made a decision that the outcome was so 
different, even though you kind of knew. Because listen, I don't think buyer's remorse is something happening completely out of the blue and you didn't know it was happening. Buyer's remorse is when you kind of know this is wrong and you go ahead and do it anyway, and then you find out, yeah, that was wrong. That's the feeling of buyer's remorse. And I wonder if that's what he was happening. You know, you ever kind of think maybe you're wrong, but then you kind of complete your purchase and then in your decision and in your life, you kind of figure out, no, that was wrong. I think this Roman figured that out and he couldn't take it back. You see, this man honored God by simply recognizing his innocence. Did he praise God? No, he didn't do that, right? Was he converted? No, we don't know. But he did recognize out loud what others believed to be true as well. They just couldn't say it. You see, in his ignorance, he looks up and says this, guy is innocent. He simply told the truth. By the way, anytime we tell the truth, we honor God. Anytime we tell the actual truth, we honor God. God can only work in the reality of our lives. Once we choose to live in truth and reality, God can begin his work in us. And this is us recognizing how much we need God when we begin to tell the truth. You, you know, the baseline of Christianity, the very, the very starting point of Christianity is an honest conversation of us saying, you know what, God, I, I think I need you. And I think I need you more than the other things in my life. I think I'm willing to take a step and take a step of trust into a relationship with you so that maybe you can help me Maybe you can begin to fix me. Maybe you can change my heart because where I am right now is not where I want to be. This is the very baseline of Christianity. It's an honest conversation with God and we see it in this man. He looks around and he goes, what just happened here wasn't right. This man is innocent. Sometimes that's all we need to say, right? Sometimes that's all we need to say in our relationship with God is, hey, here's the truth about what I'm feeling right now. Now, we've said this at Crosswalk for a really long time. Your witness, your testimony is the truth that you tell about God in your life. And we always tell you, and I hope you're listening, we never want you to give a testimony that's untrue. We never want you to talk about how your relationship with God should be we want you to talk about how your relationship with God actually is because that's the greatest testimony, even if it's not perfect. In fact, probably because it's not perfect, just tell the truth. That's all this man did. What we did here was wrong because this man is innocent. So always in your testimony, tell the truth. Let's move on to 23 verse 48. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Now, this is fascinating to me, right? Because it doesn't say that those who knew Jesus went home in deep sorrow. It seemed a little bit more than that. Uh, my bet is there was some bit of cheerf cheerfulness is probably the wrong word to talk about at an execution. But, but you know, it's a spectacle, right? It's a show. And we all like a show. And it's kind of the ultimate show to watch someone die on a cross. You know, they didn't have Netflix back then. They didn't have Amazon Prime Video. They just, this is a big event. They're gonna go see it, you know, take a, take a snack, take some popcorn, you know, watch, watch this thing happen. But when they left, they went 
home in deep sorrow. And it said everyone who was there went home in deep sorrow. And the reason why I think they went home in deep sorrow is because they knew the same thing that that soldier knew. They knew this was wrong. They all had a bit of buyer's remorse. You know, not today. Today was different for them. Today was a sense that something was wrong. Today was a sense that what happened here shouldn't happen. That's the power that Jesus had. That's the power of his goodness and his grace. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. By the way, this is a direct connection with prophecy. Psalm 38, 11. And Psalm 88, 8, it says this, my loved one and friends will stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Man, those words are interesting, aren't they? Those words are interesting in today's world. I, I think if I can just take a moment here, and I won't spend too long on it, I think this is why we have to pray and really encourage our healthcare workers at this time. Because they're gonna be the ones who step, step into that. And especially with, you know, the numbers that they're fearful of coming and, and hope to God that they don't. But we want to make sure we encourage you to pray for them, support them in any way they can. And many of you probably have friends or family or you yourselves are in healthcare. We thank you for what you do and we want to support you in any way we can. Psalm 88, 8 says this, you have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. This is the tragedy of it all. But again, this is prophecy being answered. And so the author of scripture, Luke, at this point, writes down these words in connection with Psalms so you understand that this Jesus who had come was a Jesus who had been prophesied. He was the Messiah. He was the king who had been prophesied. Man, this was a crisis. It was a crisis in everyone's life. I think as those people walked away, they recognized the crisis that they were going through, that they felt deep sorrow. So I guess the question today is simply this, right? How, how are you going to weather this crisis? What are you deciding to be? How are you deciding to act? What is it that gives you solace? Because we have different ways of thinking about this and talking about this. You know, the earth has been through crisis before and will be again. In fact, we have been privileged in the West particularly to have led pretty good lives. I mean, we were all worried about Y2K, right? That was going to be the biggest crisis. And I remember when the clock struck midnight, I was actually playing in my band. When the clock struck midnight, we all went, uh, oh, it's okay. We've been through national crisis like 9-11. We've been through pandemics before, I think back to the 1918 pandemic and certainly some of the other pandemics that have been through. Listen, what we're experiencing now, we can acknowledge it. It's traumatic for many of us. Loss of jobs, loss of wages. We're not sure what's gonna happen with the economy. There's fear, of course. It is difficult. But I do wanna put it in perspective. It is less than the death of God. And, and the funny thing is that our hope lies in that death but also in the resurrection of Jesus. 
Because he is our ultimate hope. Regardless of how things go here, let's keep this in our heads, keep it in our hearts, and have faith in the goodness and the power and the sovereignty of God. And let's talk about the sovereignty just for a moment. If you believe that God has some sort of power, if you believe that God is a God that created the universe, then you also have to believe that he has it in his hands. Now, we can parse this down and get really theological with it and really say, well, what does that mean, freedom of choice? And listen, I'm Arminian in that respect. I believe that God has given us free moral agency and has allowed us to make our own free decisions, but I also believe in his sovereignty. I also believe that in in the grand scheme of things, in the greater narrative, God is in control. Maybe not controlling, but is in control. I hope you understand the nuanced difference. And of all the things that we can put our faith in, I think God is the best bet. I think God is the transcendent one that will last through all of this. He's the one that will get us through, even in times where we feel like we can't make it. And maybe I'm overselling this. Maybe you don't have anxiety through this time. And praise God if you don't. I believe that comes from God too. But if you do, the best understanding to lean upon is going to be God. And it's going to be an understanding that God is for you, not against you, that he loves you deeply and he cares for you overwhelmingly and he will see you through. Your community will see you through. Jesus Christ will see you through. We are moving towards Easter. We recognize the greatest act of love ever happened that ever happened in this world. So we can lean on the fact that God loves you. He cares for you. He believes in you. And he wants to carry you through. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, your grace, your mercy, your power, and your sovereignty, Lord, we want to believe in that and we, we give you the authority in our lives. So Lord, as we as we move through these times, man, teach us to hold on to one another, but also teach us to look to you. We pray these things in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen.